0: Now entering
1: Nerdist.com Hi listeners, this is me, Ben, recording a thing to remind you about the upcoming live Nerdist Writers Panels in Los Angeles. Please come out to them. Uh, September 13th at Meltdown Comics with Damon Lindelof. Yeah, you heard me. Noelle Valdivia, who has worked on Manhattan and Masters of Sex. And Kit Boss, who is on iZombie currently and worked on Bob's Burgers. So, Bob's Burgers fans, come on out. Uh, You don't want to miss that. September 21st, at Largo the Coronet, we're doing a thing called Family Men, Masters of the Family sitcom with Norman Lear. Yeah, I'm freaking out a little bit. It's Norman Lear, Phil Rosenthal, who created Everybody Loves Raymond, and Steve Levitan, who co-created Modern Family. Should be a lot of fun. We'll have some surprises for you as well. And a couple coming up in October that we haven't even announced yet, including one with Jason Reitman, which will be at Meltdown. So come to that, please, you guys. I like it when you guys have questions, and you can ask questions if you're not there. Plus, it all benefits a 26 la uh, Go to writerspanel.tumblr.com for information and ticketing links. Uh, I will try to post about these live ones all the time so you can't miss it. You won't have to scroll that much. You won't get a scroller's thumb because that's, that's the worst. There's nothing more painful. Uh, also, follow me on Twitter at Ben Blacker. Uh, I'll put stuff up there all the time. As ever, thanks for listening, and if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes. They make me feel good about myself. Here's some stuff. Today's episode was recorded at the ATX Television Festival in Austin. Uh, Season 4, which was this year, first weekend in June 2015. We had so much fun at ATX this year. It was bigger and better than it ever was. I don't know why you're not coming next year. Go to ATXFestival.com and get your badge for next year. Don't Wait to find out who's going to be there, because if you wait to find out who's going to be there, you're going to miss an opportunity to get your badge. Go to ATXFestival.com. Creator and uh, executive producer, director of it, and then we're going to bring the actors out. So I just want to prepare you mentally. Doctor Who is not coming out yet. <laughs> That's his name, right? <laughs> oh, thank God it's not Comic Con. <laughs> um, please welcome Damon Lindelof and Mimi Leader. Welcome, please. Sit. Hi guys. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, you, will you show off the shirt for oh. them, please?
2: <laughs> this is a little present for the Lost Writers' Room. Uh, sorry, the uh, the Leftovers Writers' Room this week. We we all, all the writers got them, so with their names. You're tremendous nerds. Yes, it's great. We we love the Game of Thrones.
1: <laughs> um, you guys, let's talk about the Leftovers. Uh, this was an intense season. Uh, I want to talk about the, I want to talk about this first. Uh, What drew each of you to the material from the beginning? Uh, Because Mimi, you came in a little bit later, right? About halfway through the season. Um, And Damon obviously co-wrote the pilot with uh,
2: Tom Parada, who wrote the
1: novel. Mm -hmm. Um, What drew you initially to the material?
2: Uh... I um, I'm a, a, a big Parada fan. Always have been. I've read uh, uh, all of his uh, all of his books, and um, I I really respond to uh, the tonality of his storytelling. He writes great characters. There's you know there's a lot of humor there, a lot of pathos. The stuff that I that really respond to. Election is one of my, my uh, favorite movies. Um, give it up for Election and uh, and Little Children. And there's just this this thing that Parada does. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, this thing that we all get, which is, this is the person that we are, uh, presenting ourselves as, but then there's, there's kind of someone, there's something entirely different going on underneath. Um, and then, uh, I was, uh, I was reading the New York Times book review, which, um, I essentially read so that I can pretend that I've read books that I haven't read. (laughs) And, uh. And there was a review of um, of The Leftovers that was written by Stephen King, and uh, I'm also I'm a massive Stephen King fan. That was you know, my dad and I. I think one of the first novels that I read was a, was a Stephen King novel. And um, what was it? Do you remember? It was uh, it was it was probably Pet Cemetery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at that and then and then I went back and read everything that he'd written prior to that, and Carrie and Salem's Lot and, and The Stand, which um, you know kind of changed everything for me, but uh, but it was like, wow, Stephen King is writing this review of uh, Tom Parada book, and then I started reading the review, and it was clearly a genre book. This, You know, there, there was this idea that um, you know, behind it like this supernatural event that occurred in the Tom Parada book, and I was just completely and totally riveted, and uh, and Stephen King said that it was the, the best episode of the Twilight Zone that had never been filmed, and I just stopped reading the book review, because I was like, I should actually probably read this book. <laughs> and uh, and I was uh, I I was in an airport and I bought and I as I walked into you know like uh, Hudson News or whatever it is uh um, and uh, And bought the book and um, and then I just had like three cocktails on the plane, and it had an ambient, and I passed out um, <laughs> but then, like a day later, I got a call from a colleague of mine who had just um, uh, started working at h b o Michael Ellenberg, and he said, "Have you read this thing the leftovers um, we 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 bought it, and it feels like it 's something that 's up your alley and uh, lost it you know been about two or two or three years since since is off the air and i kind of vowed that i would um you know uh, never do television again which um <laughs> you know uh was wrong and i was feeling the pull of it after some some exploits in movieville and so uh so i was like oh this is the stars aligning i should read this book and i read it you know not in a single sitting but over the course of a couple of days and i was just really uh emotionally uh engaged by it um and what uh, do you, uh,
1: let me interrupt you for a sec. What do you think it was about the themes in the book or about the, the story in the book that uh, both these HBO folks thought of you and that you
2: responded to? Well, <laughs> I think that um, uh, there's a mystery element to the book in terms of 2% of the world's population just suddenly and spontaneously disappears. And um, and what was brilliant about the, the way that Tom wrote it was it was very clear from, you know, maybe ten pages in that you're not going to get an answer to this mystery. And so there was something, like, fundamentally very liberating about that for me, where... <laughs> where I, I could just basically, like, I could say in panels, fuck you guys, ask Parada. Like, I, this, this wasn't my idea. <laughs> So, uh, uh, that, that was really cool because I love the idea of living in a, in a world of mystery because that's kind of, you know, what it is. Like you choose a religion and you're like, I'm 98% sure that. You know that this is this is the right way to go, but the idea that there was something very specific—it wasn't just this people sitting around and smelling their own farts and talking about philosophy, which is my next show—that that's going to be on Cinemax. Um, but uh, but it had this very defined kind of uh, entry point, and uh, and I just thought that the characters were incredible, and um, and I just started feeling it's a it's a very it's a very self-contained. Uh, Novel. Um, It had an ending where I was like, "I'm okay with this ending. I'm okay with leaving these people here. I don't think like I need to see the continuing adventures of them." But at the same time, the world seems so rich. Um, It just feels like a TV show. Like you shouldn't make this into a movie. You should go deep. And uh, and um, I I I called Michael Ellenberg back and essentially said, um, you know, I love it. Uh, can I? Can I? Is, what's what's Tom's involvement going to be? Because I I think that there is a um, you know there's a system in place uh, in our business where it's basically like you know uh, fuck that guy you're doing the adaptation now and um, uh, and w- whether it's a movie where there's 14 different credited writers or a television show like th- I, I didn't really want to do the show unless Parada was going to be intimately involved because I do feel that I do um, have a A strong desire and an inclination, and a bad habit of kind of take, you know, embracing the mystery element and the genre element and pushing that really hard. And I was like, I just need a very strong creative influence who's gonna keep it grounded at all times. and uh, so Tom and I started exchanging some very sweet emails, and uh, and then he came out to Los Angeles, and we had a sit down, and um, and uh, we we started talking about it, and I became obsessed. There, in the book, there is a um, there's a very brief mention. Uh, Nora Durst is, uh, is like riding her bike um, around Mapleton, and she she rides on a path through the woods, and she sees a uh, like a stray dog, and um, and there's like a very oblique reference to the fact that the dogs. Um, you know, may have gone crazy on October 14th, and just, like, the ones who witnessed a departure just sort of, like, went and they were having this, like, feral existence in the woods, and I, I was like, I want to do the dog show. What's going on with the dogs? <laughs> like, you know, I was like, I have this idea that, you know, the, the, the first scene in Lost was a guy wakes up in the, in the woods, and he sits up, and he's disoriented, and this very sweet dog comes running up to him. Is like, oh, people love dogs. Like, you know, dogs are great. Everything's going to be okay no matter what happens over the course of the next six seasons of the show the fucking dog is fine and I was like and I was like but on this show we're gonna fucking shoot the dog you know we're gonna like right out of the gate we kill the dog because the dogs are dangerous and, they're, and, they're, and they've gone crazy and that's what's happening to people and Tom was just sort of like What? Who are you? What? How did I get into this? But then he then he pushed back, and we started riffing, and I just felt like it was going to be an amazing collaboration, and then you know everything kind of flowed out of that.
1: And I want to pick up there in a minute, but uh, Mimi, tell us about how you got involved, and again, what drew you to this material.
3: I like to shoot dogs too. Um, I um, was very attracted to this material, uh, the themes of loss, abandonment, grief, and uh, Damon Lindelof, and and I was like, okay, this is a dream come true, and it's a, you know, it's it's just, you know, the material that Damon uh, writes is 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 like ice cream. It's it's really. Creamy and it's really beautiful to direct, you know, and realize. And it's, you know, the best written uh, material I've come across in television or film in a long time. And so that's what attracted me to this world.
1: Um, Let me ask you guys, uh, you know, Mimi brings up that these themes of grief, which are really prevalent through the first half of the season... uh, that's some heavy stuff to throw at an audience straight away. And I think in the book, there's a little more time, right? Is that right that they've, they've established the loss already mm-hmm. and then the story kind of gets rolling? But uh, we're thrown in pretty quickly to these characters' grieving lives. Was there a worry uh, on your part that, you know, it would
2: just, that would define the series? Uh, there probably should have been. I mean, I I, I think that. Um, you know, one of the great things about doing this job, but um, but it's also a slightly terrifying thing, is you have an instinct about something, and then you put it out into the world, and then the reaction to it can sometimes be surprising, and that's exciting. But I just like when 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 words like bleak and depressing and why would I want to watch that ever again, you know, started started coming at us. Um, I, I was surprised by it because for for us, it was just really about trying to capture some sense of if you're going to do this very genre idea and try to dress it up in a very non-genre presentation i mean i i think that like you know when you just say you know, 140 million people sort of abruptly disappear. Like, how are you going to show that? How are you going to express that? Um, like, for me, it was really just all about. Even though the uh, the book starts three years later, as does the show, but I was like, how are these people feeling? Like, you know, when when it, just this idea that it could happen again at any time. I know, like, I, I live in Los Angeles, so I know how I feel right after an earthquake. So this idea of like, you just get, you just kind of get. You, Every time you start to kind of feel good about something, you're like, "Oh, this food is really good," and then something's just kind of bothering you. You're like, "What is it?" Oh, right, there was just this earthquake, and I and I kind of feel like something that happened on that scale, not just physically, like, "Oh, the people that I love could disappear at any moment." Which, by the way, is just a fear that we all have. That's not a grief. That's not a grief fear. It's like you know, you basically you know, you find someone that you love and you propose to them, and you know, and you have family that you care about. But the idea for any of us who have who have suffered loss the idea that in a second they could be gone. Um, once it happens it's jarring because it does. it's not just like, oh, I'm grieving my dad because he's dead. That's sad. But the other thing that happens is you're sort of like, how do I reevaluate everybody else that I know because they could be gone too? And so how does this look and how does this feel and how are people who are experiencing this all the time behaving? They'd be going kind of a little bit crazy because normally we're looking around for answers. You know, you look You know, like, what is the Pope going to come out on his balcony and basically say Don't worry this is what the departure Was and l- allow me to contextualize It for you and all you have to do is come to church Every day and you're going to feel better and Then the Pope is basically He's fucking gone you know So so I, I really like that idea of a World where kind of everybody was looking For answers and I live in a world That is predominantly you know We're, we're people of science you know We we bend towards atheism but, at, at, but we're all afraid to say That we believe in God and we describe ourselves as, like, well, I'm kind of spiritual. Like, (laughs) you know, I kind of believe that, like, everybody's connected and is like, you're fucking talking about the force. Just say... (laughs) Just say you believe in the force. Like, you know, but we, we, we kind of don't know how to qualify it. And it was like, so th- the idea that people were afraid, that they were pushing away the people that they cared about most because they were afraid of losing them. So that's what we tried to put on the page. And then if someone had just said to me at any time in the process, do you, you, know, do you think anyone's going to want to watch this? You know? And when I saw this poster, I was like, yes, it's that. But then I don't understand like when you drive by that poster, you're like, God, like, I'd much rather watch like fucking Tyrion dealing with dragons. Like, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't need that. I mean, I kind of need it. Um, but, well, but uh, it's actually it's terrific. And I knew it. I know it drew me in because it's this arresting. That's my sp- body and Justin's head. By the oh. way. <laughs> Just so we're clear.
1: But it, there, there's a, a true emotion that is somehow conveyed even in the advertising campaign. And I want to talk about the getting that emotion on the page and through the actors. But before that, uh, and before we bring them out, I just want to ask a quick question about adaptation in general. Uh, when you and Tom started having these conversations, uh, deciding what, how the show would be and how the show would be different to the book, Uh, What was involved?
2: Because there are notable differences. This is actually very... very germane to Mimi because uh, one one of the things that we were talking about was in the book um, that the guilty remnant are sort of engaged they're engaged in a behavior of martyrdom and what they do is like they 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 have like an outpost house that they that they pick their s- sort of select members and then they go and then they ask one of the members to shoot the other one and to make the shooting look like it was perpetrated by a member of the community in order to sort of ratchet up tension and I was and I was essentially like. You know they, they can do better than this, the guilty remnant, like if it you know the, we've got we've got to delve you, the, 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 the shooting is you know a language that we all understand, but like what is it what does a religious hate crime look and feel like on television? And I was like, someone should get stoned on this show like they they should stone one of their own, and we should we should be forced to watch it here's another thing is like that's what people want to see they, <laughs> they fucking want to see stonings and always on the pulse, <laughs> you know and <laughs> i <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, it, it was sort of met with, like, oh, okay, like, uh, he seems really passionate about this. And Parada was into it, et cetera. But you could kind of see, like, people were, um, like, a little bit hesitant about it. And Mimi was the, you know, the only, I, the only person, at least in my memory, who was like, fuck, yes. <laughs> like. And that was, that, was the fir- that was the first episode that she directed. And I remember when we were toning it, you know, just that idea of, like, there's going to there's going to she's going to get hit with the rock like 3 times further than we should like it's just not, not to be gratuitous but the I, and 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 so when we submitted the cut to HBO they completely and totally embraced the idea but they did say and this is what I love about HBO they never say don't do this they just say are you sure it's kind of it's like I have a Jewish mother so I'm used to this it's like you know are you are you sure you want to do that um, and it's like I don't want anyone to feel it's gratuitous but at the same time the whole point of it is it the reason that the guilty remnant is ultimately doing this although although you don't know why it's having the time is kind of like you have to watch you have to remember what happened like every time the show starts to spin out of this bandwidth of like oh everything's going to be okay the guilty remnant is there to basically say no this thing happened and everything has changed they're disruptors you know they're protesting against normalcy so it actually like and you can't explain that to someone they either are so dark and fucked up that they totally just intuit it and I I mean that is the greatest you know it's it's, you know at at that time when we started watching Mimi's dailies that was when we, we called her up and said you need to you can't Leave after you direct this episode. You are now going to be, you know, you're, you're you're now you're now producing the show. Like you're 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 the point person in New York, and uh, thank God she's 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 leading the charge in season two. But I think like it's just, uh, you know, as as. Uh, as 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 my therapist is kind of saying is, is, uh is fond of saying when I'm when I'm uh beating myself up, which is all the time, is like look, the show's just not for everybody. And um and like just surround yourself with the people who it's for. And um and fortunately, uh, not just with Mimi but also you know, our amazing production team on, on all sides. Um like uh, if, if one of them says, this is too far, or I don't, I'm not feeling this, then I know that it's the wrong idea, versus you know, when they all sit up and say, like, yes, um, th- I, I, I trust the, uh, the collaborative process.
1: Yeah, and, and you can tell on shows when the collaboration is truly happening, and, and I think it really is on this show. Let's meet some of those collaborators. Yes! <laughs> Please welcome uh, Christopher Egelson, Carrie Coon, and Anne Dowd. ask you all the same question that I, I let off with these guys uh, what initially drew you to this material it is potentially difficult material uh, you are all uh, brilliant in demand actors uh, why, why is this we why tell is that this to my agent <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what appealed to you about this show
4: it's difficult material I mean as a woman I feel that I'm rarely asked to do anything challenging I'm just asked to recycle the same tropes over and over again. The long-suffering wife, the bitchy girlfriend, the lesbian detective, like <laughs> over and over again. And I, and I was so... Right. No, I, I'm, I'm fighting Chris off <laughs> with the stick. But, um, and I had read Tom Parada's novel, and I really actually connected with Nora when I read it years before the, it became a show. So it was such a privilege to get uh, the opportunity to audition for it.
5: What about you guys? Chris? Uh, it was the same thing for me. I read the novel, and uh, Matt Jameson was the person that I connected with.
1: Really? Yeah. Uh, is, is there, are there thematic elements to the character? I mean, what, what is it actually? Let, let's dig a little deeper that you guys connected okay. with.
2: Well, is this going to be therapy? <laughs> well, I, I, we do it right. What, what I can say is that Chris and I met in in London. I was I was doing press for uh, for the second Star Trek film, and he was there. And I knew, uh, and I had, we we were starting to cast the leftovers, and we had gotten word that he was interested in Matt Jameson based on the book because I don't think the script was even circulating, and if it was, Matt Jameson has like three lines in the script. But we had sort of all, you know, Tom and I had already kind of been interested in that, you know, this is the one character who's representing religion, you know, in terms of his being. And I think that the trope is, this is a priest who's lost his faith. And um, and we, we we were sort of like, we don't want to do that, but we don't know what uh, what to do yet and then you and I we, we met and we, we had a coffee and uh, in my memory uh, we ended up having like a like a two hour
5: conversation about religion, about yeah, our, our, yeah. Our, our, our 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 beliefs. Yeah we did I just thought it was very interesting that Tom dropped this character in and that was right at the center of the argument but didn't use him that much. Mm-hmm. so I felt obviously he there was there was scope for him to develop.
1: What what was the nature of that conversation? Uh, what were some of the things,
5: things that came out that we later
2: maybe got to see in the show? I, I remember saying, don't drink anymore, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And I did not heed that advice. But <laughs> but, I, but I do think whether it
5: was something that you you were... I asked that, you about your belief. Your, your, I, I yeah. asked you whether you believed in Had, God, basically. Right, right, yes. Yeah. And you, you said to me...
6: What did he say? I'm dying question. to know.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, we talked about God, but then I, I, I my takeaway from the conversation and I can't remember what it was that you specifically said was I was I was saying this in the, in the in the book, Matt Jameson has a crisis of faith. So he he's a he's a he's an evangelical uh, priest who, when the rapture happens, it doesn't happen by his definition of the rapture, which is only the good people go. So assholes go too. And so his reaction to that is like, "Well, I'm not going to be religious anymore." And I think Chris said something to me uh, along the lines of, "No, he wouldn't do that. He he you know he did I say yeah that? No, uh, <laughs> I, I mean he would don't you, you said my my memory of it is that you said something like he would double down you know he'd become more religious you know um like and and the, and, and then i was suddenly like okay there's got to be a gambling set piece for this guy at some point but you know but i i you were even though you were presenting in terms of, of Chris Eccleston's system of beliefs, you, you you understood Matt Jameson, and I think in a way you want to cast actors who understand the characters better than you do, so that when you're writing them, you're the actor is just talking to you, and it actually feels like cheating because you're just no you're and it's it is that way with all uh you know with, with all the actors on the show where you know you're just kind of channeling um uh what they're doing it doesn't feel like it's something that you're writing that's how you know you've got the casting right and when you don't you just kill them off. <laughs>
6: Oh, good to know. <laughs> uh-huh. Truth comes out.
2: You mostly kill them off. Mostly.
6: I wanted to answer your question, um,
2: Thank you, Ann.
6: When I when I when I first read the script, I didn't get it. I put it down, and I said, Well, I'm not kidding, I can tell you this because we're family now. I said, Well, I won't be going in for this. I don't get it and uh I'm kind of a kitchen sink kind of gal. I want to be able to touch it and identify it. And then I thought, you know what, honey, you're, you might want to have another look. And then I thought, wow, she doesn't talk. She, and I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> and she's suffered tremendously, and she doesn't give a shit. And I admire that tremendously in that character. So that was the appeal for me, was her trip and the fact that she's arrived at a place of strength and solidarity, or
1: if that... That that makes a lot of sense, and it sort of leads me to another question I had for you guys, because it's sort of a look inside your process of how you start to approach a character. Uh, All three of you here are... I'm I'm not kidding when I say you are heavy-hitting actors. You are, you know, stage-trained. You're theater actors, and there's an aspect to this show... Yes, definitely. ...that is... Mm -hmm. Theatrical is the wrong word, but it could take place on a stage, uh, and I think that has something to do with the emotional honesty mm-hmm. of the show. Uh, how do you guys dig deep and find that in you know amid the lights and cameras of a television? And Mimi, how do you work with them to bring that out?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, we go deep into process here.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> this uh, is ATX, guys. Well, this is uh, <laughs> some Comic Con. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well as you say they are seasoned actors and they dig deep they come to set and they are completely prepared and they have their opinions and as do I and we usually pretty much feel the same way about things and we you know have a very very much respect for the process of letting it uh, evolve and we're very to the point and we don't rehearse a lot You know, we we let it happen on film, you know. Mm
2: -hmm.
6: Well, you know, it's funny. The other night, am I in the show?
2: (laughs) Well, look, I... here's what I'll say is it would have it would have been like really obnoxious to invite you to Austin just to be on a panel like so but I would
6: remember like, his former I, yeah. words you know
2: I don't want to I don't want to say that you're still on the show well I I, I okay but, so but, it's always a pleasure to see. but you. I let's yeah it is thanks for coming uh-huh. <laughs> yeah yeah let's just say you were let's just say you were hanging out on set and the cameras may have been pointed at you yeah
6: Damon is such a good guy, you know? Okay, but when I was pretending to film the other night, or not, uh, this is in relation to the theater. Yeah. I started to feel the panic rise up because the material is very challenging. It's beautifully written, and it's the kind of writing where you don't want to change words. And you don't change words in the theater. It just doesn't happen there's something about the respect for the writing and not, when, not that you would with other writers but there's something when you can tell I've got to get this as written and the terrain is difficult who are they where are they going and you rehearse in a the theater for a long time for a reason and the depth of this material and the density of the writing I felt the panic rise up I thought should I I don't know what to do I, I don't get it And we had work to do, and I thought, come on, girl, you've been in a theater where you've had to stand up on a night when you don't get it and do it anyway to the best of your ability and just know somehow you will get through. You've got a team. You're not alone. Let the panic dissipate, and you will do the best you can. That's very helpful. Of uh, that um, time spent on a stage when you want to jump out a window, <laughs> sure. do you know.
2: Do you Do you guys have that dream where you're about where you have to go on stage and you don't know what it's for and like and what you're supposed to say?
6: I don't have that one. I have the one where I show up t- for a test, and I just thought, shit, I never read any of it. Right, right. I don't know what it's about. Yeah. I can't face that no lines because that would I'd have a heart attack in right. my sleep. Anyway.
1: Uh, Carrie and Chris, when you receive a script uh, for a new episode, what what is your process? What's the what do you start to do?
4: Well. I think what Anne said is very germane. It's, uh, the material, the writing is always really solid. So I, if if I have a tiny dispute, I might write Damon a one-sentence email. It's like, is that sentence right? But that's usually all as far as that goes. What
1: are the nature of those sort of Oh, questions?
4: you know, uh, I haven't had a lot of that, frankly. The writing is so strong. But I always am aware of us not being the same as the other things I don't do because... They're boring. So if I hear, smell any hint of like, oh, I don't want her to be like that, I might mention it. But but Damon is so, he trusts his actors so much and he's so amenable to that. And it happens so rarely. But I, I feel like for me, the preparation for anything that's coming happened before I got the job in a way. Because I connected... Uh, when I was a little girl, I used to wake up during Johnny Carson and come out of my room. I was like five, and my parents would be watching late night, and I'd be like, it's "Just so we're clear, like, is Jesus coming back soon? And do you know when? And am I gonna get married and have kids, or is that like off the table?" And they'd just be like, "Okay, honey, you're it's fine. It's not happening in your lifetime. Go you to were bed." Did honey? Or yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. They weren't really paying attention, uh, and so I was so always. Is deeply uh, terrified of the apocalypse it's such a part of the fabric of my being <laughs> my that when yes <laughs> that when a show addressing the, my sort of deepest fears of apocalypse and abandonment came along it was like oh yeah <laughs> my wheelhouse you know and so in some ways the, the writing is, is strong enough that it, it allows you to embrace uh, those things And so when I get scared on set, like Anne was talking about, like, oh, man, I don't know what to do. It's really a a matter of sort of opening into your fear and being not afraid to uh, show it. Uh-huh. Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and hopefully.
2: Just to speak briefly to w- what Carrie said, although I am getting a T-shirt that says like <laughs> you, you don't change the words in theater or you know or whatever it is, but this is TV.
4: I'm married no, to a playwright. Yeah, you line. do not, but change
2: the words. No, no, it's not insulting. It's wonderful. I, I, but, but I also kind of feel like. One of the things that happens, obviously, um, The Leftovers is not exclusively written by Tom and I. We have a room full of in- in immensely talented writers, all of who have very specific voices. And one of my criteria for, for hiring people, like, if you, if you like me or you like my work, you didn't get hired. So when I was staffing The Leftovers, people would be like, oh, my God, I'm so into loss," And I'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Because you need to feel the same way about me that I feel about me. And I also n- need to, you know, I need... <laughs> Need, no, no, I'm not... No, no, Dang no, no sympathy, it. but... We are no. going to get to the bottom of this today. He will be fine by the no. time we leave. But you're not—you're not, you're not going to generate anything cool from, you know, from sycophancy, if that's—if yeah. that's a word. Right. Um, so, so the idea of like you—you—you you, you hire people with very distinct voices who will fight you, mm-hmm. and the, and the same is true of actors, and it's the way that they fight is key. Mm-hmm. But I think that when I get what what we would convey is like pushback, but like if Carrie sends an email and says, "I just want you to look at this," it's very significant. Or when me me says, I'm not sure what you're trying to say here. It's very significant because we're, we're, we're all the custodians of this show and, and my job when I'm writing a scene is, so Kevin's in the scene and Jill's in the scene and Nora's in the scene and and on a story level, the scene needs to achieve this. Well, it's possible that I might just like neglect Nora because I need to get the scene to, I need to get this thing to happen and then it's up to the actors to basically say I get that you need to have that thing happen, but I just want you to know, you know, I, I'm Nora. Like, I live in Nora, and, and just a, a piece of counsel, like, I, I, I think she may be coming off like this, and I don't think you want that. Mm-hmm. It's not passive-aggressive, and then it will always, it, it'll always initiate a change, because I take it very seriously. I think when you're in a scenario, and I've been in this scenario too in television and in movies where you know where the material just isn't working and 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 the actors know that it's not working and the director knows that it's not working and you're just kicking the tires constantly and then it becomes even when it starts to work everyone is completely and totally used to just kicking the tires and you never reach that point of like we're just going to have faith in this material you just want to you you have to start from a place of fundamental faith but but i also feel like that 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 feedback is absolutely crucial because you know I, I have, you, you know, I have, and the writers have, you know, a dozen characters to be to be thinking about. And at any one time, you you might be servicing one character, and you put the other character in service of them, and then you betray them, and you just never want to betray them because the audience will, will the audience will smell it. And if you hate a character on a television show, um, it's not the you know it's 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 because it's 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 because it. The, the story, or or another character, is basically completely and totally subsumed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's it's a smart thing that you know we've seen in. in that said, I'm not changing a fucking word. <laughs> I see, I see the wheels turning. I think Chris just quit.
5: <laughs> He's never had an email from me. <laughs>
1: I want to ask you about you you had an episode in this first season uh that rested almost fully on your shoulders. Uh, my ego. <laughs> can can you talk about this episode and you know summoning the uh emotional wherewithal to get through this episode and to be <gasps> honest and use your microphone please yes.
5: <laughs> I can project
0: <laughs>
5: the recording yeah. I, um, I wanted to talk about uh, just a little bit about uh, um, my tr- this, this thing of I've never changed the word in television or or theatre or film um, I, I don't know if I'm sure everybody's read that book Difficult Men Inside the Television Revolution I've talked to you about it mm-hmm. And that—that that was a, uh, or I it, might, uh, <coughs> yeah, it might be the other one. Yeah. Oh, but, the, uh, but if you
2: guys, there are two great men. Books it's called "Difficult about,
5: Men." You know, the Seppenwall one's amazing, and it's but, about the rise of the showrunner and this culture that has thrown up this television that the American you make now. So this is a, a new experience for me working in American television. My drama school training was Shakespeare and Miller and Strindberg, and you didn't change a word. And then I worked with really fantastic British television writers like Jimmy McGovern and Peter Flannery, and you didn't change a word. So, I, 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 I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever asked you for a, a, a line change. It's just an interesting... I've met American actors, not these two, but I've met American actors who who like rewrite fucking scripts. And frankly, I want to fucking kill them. Because for me, the writer is at the centre of the culture, and it's not just because he's flown in for this. The writer is at the centre of the culture for me. That That was how I grew up. Anyway, that's that's my rant All, But it, it has to I be... Writers are not... You know, actors are not writers. Yeah. Anyway. But there has anyway. to be some... As part of that collaboration, you know,
1: if you're not going to change a word, you as an actor have to find your way in a phrase or a scene or whatever it is that might be difficult but they know the character
5: I mean right. I, 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 I feel but you don't just show up and you know say no Bye. I don't just <laughs> no but uh, you're actually I, I, an I think Anne and Carrie would probably say sometimes your job as an actor is not to get in the way hmm. yeah and that's what I've learned as I, you know, when I was younger, I was forever trying to do my Marlon Brando and my Robert De Niro and this, that, and the other. And as you get older, you think, oh, I'll just stay out of it a bit, especially when it's as well written as this. I um, think our, our job is, is right? to
6: go to the story, not make the story come to us, we go to the yeah. story.
5: Simplicity.
6: Yeah, or just get out of your own...
5: Get out of the way. It's not
6: my story
1: I'm telling, it's... Am I ruining it by acting, asking about process?
5: <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I process. Yeah. You know, I, that's something you do to your hair, isn't it? <laughs> not, not us. I have no idea what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> we.
5: What I loved about, i I've, you know, people in my country, for instance, there's a real snobbish attitude to television. It's like, oh, he's a teleactor. actor. He doesn't mm-hmm. do film. Mm-hmm. I love television. And I love the pace that we make television with. And when we did this first series, we established in New York, because we were all so cold, <laughs> that we did not hang around. And that's what Mimi said about, we rehearse on film because we want to go home!
0: <laughs>
5: but we, so you have to make decisions yeah. quick, but fortunately we've got great writing, and, we, and I think we're well cast, and we, we're mm-hmm. led by Justin Theroux, who's not here today, who leads us with generosity and absolute... Yeah. So generous... And uh, you know, so we make quick decisions, and we want that energy transferred onto the onto, on, on, onto the screen. It's not a precious thing, really. The show, we, even though it's about deep feeling, we we just do it. <laughs> well, that's that's part of the human thing that we're seeing on screen
1: is because it is spontaneous, because it is very natural.
3: Mm-hmm. And you know, we talk about you know what each character wants and the reason to really. You know, shoot the rehearsals is—you might miss it. You might miss this beautiful, unrehearsed moment that just happens, and—and it's—it's—it's really important to the material.
1: Uh, All right, I want to make sure we have time for questions from you all. Do you have questions? Um, Our first question is right here. Please stand up, this young woman. (laughs) This young woman. (laughs)
6: Great. Audience hog. Sorry. Um, you have this brilliant way of shifting a narrative, using a, you know the word "gimmick" semantically doesn't feel right, but a gimmick in your narrative in the way you structure things that has obviously made you quite famous. But the balls it takes to in your third episode of a brand new show to take one single character and build an entire episode around someone who we barely know, like. As a writer here, I would never—it would never occur to me to have that kind of, just even confidence or strength of storytelling to make that decision. What made you make that decision, and and did you have that fear that it was a wrong one? Because it was brilliant, but that's a terrifying decision to have to make.
2: (laughs) Thank you, young lady. Um, I. I, I have to say before I answer this question, and and I, and I and in I a, in a, in a town that uses hyperbole often, that Julie Pleck and Kevin Williamson, who's sitting next to her, gave me my break. I was a up. Oh, I was a writer's assistant. Yeah. I was. A, I was a writer's assistant taking notes on uh, on Kevin's follow up to Dawson's Creek uh, wasteland while he was editing uh, teaching Mrs. Tingle uh, and um, and they uh, both you know uh, sort of very early on said you are you know you're a writer get an agent and um, because they said that every that's why I'm sitting before you uh, guys here and I'm uh, I'll never ever forget it and it's a huge deal I I think that. Though apropos of of that story is like the best kind of risk is something that doesn't feel like a risk until someone tells you it is. And, like, so, like, we look at people who are, like, you know, jumping out of planes or, or, or and they're just like, what? Um, and I think that, you know, certainly when I met with, with Chris and we were talking about, you know, once we got into the conversation about, like, we want you to do this, it was like, you're not just going to be an extra on this show. The way that the show is going to work is you're never going to know who the next episode's going to be about. So, at any point, we could shift the point of view and then Justin, and is going to have to be an extra in your episode, so so Thoreau, you know, everybody has to be down for that because a lot of people who are going to be number one on a call sheet, you know, they expect they're you know, look that, that's the poster man, like, so the third episode, Justin, you are in, you know, you're in, you're going to be in one scene here, and you're going to come into a to a, a hospital uh, room as as Matt is getting tended to, and you're going to invite him over for dinner, and then you're you that's, I'll see you in two weeks, and he's like cool, so like every Everybody, everybody, and it's not—he's not lazy by any stretch of the imagination. He knows that he's going to be in service of this other character story, and um, uh, we, we were talking about this brief, briefly earlier. But the wire, which I think, is. You know the greatest television show Ever that isn't to say that I don't Love Breaking Bad and Sopranos and and other Things but the the way that it was able To do that to shift character point of View you know the second season was about These guys on the docks that we had never um, Even met and all the characters Who we had grown attached to in the first Season suddenly became really just Extras like background in the Second season of the show with the exception of uh, You know Stringer and everything that was, was Happening there like I was just like Completely and totally amazed by the the audacity of it, but David Simon would be like, what? Like, and so, you know, I was, I was certainly trying to emulate something that I loved, but I also know like, where's the risk in taking Christopher Eccleston and making him the star of his own episode because the presentation of Matt Jameson as a, as a crazy person who's handing out these flyers, um, and then suddenly saying like, all right, now let's go find out why he's doing that. Um, let's learn a little bit more about this guy. So then in episode four in episode five was really the next significant time that we saw him when he shows up at the cold the sack um uh with laurie we see that this transformation has occurred in this character he's he's now zeroed in on saving the gr you'd want to know like how did that happen how did we shift him out of this one thing we have to show you that journey and so it just felt like it was absolutely essential and then you know and and again like not just because i'm on their network but everything you hear about hbo is true which is they weren't even like this is are you sure you want to do this? They were like, we love this script. Like, this is cool. So, you know, it, it didn't really occur to me. You know, I, one of the things, it, the first time it really occurred to me was when a show, uh, particularly a cable drama, is going to go out into the world, by then you've probably have like four or five of them done. So we, we released the first four episodes of The Leftovers to sort of the, you know, the critics. And the critics all sort of like said, like, here's, uh, I like the show, I don't like the show, I want more more of the show i don't you know that this is the way the show makes me feel but they all started saying like but episode three is this very like complete and total deviation from everything that precedes it, and blah and that was really the first time that i was like uh okay i, I guess so it just it felt like another episode of the leftovers and all i can say is you you can't do it as a gimmick you have to do it when it comes naturally timing is everything and you know like but uh, and, and sometimes you're gonna fail too. You can't be, you know, if I lived in fear of making mistakes as a storyteller, I would literally never write a word. Um, I always start from that place, and you guys know this is the beauty of television. It's just like, they're shooting fucking something in five days, you know? Like, you, you, you better flip open your laptop. So, but Thanks, that's great. Jerry. Thanks, Julie Plack. Thank you,
1: Julie Plack. Uh, you guys, this is. It's the most overqualified audience we've ever had. We have another question here. Uh, here's Emily Rose, you guys.
0: Oh God.
3: Hi. So um, you have such great themes, like we talked about, of grief and abandonment and loss. And there's all these viscer- visceral visuals of the stoning and everything. I'm curious, from a writing point of view, and also seeing it every day on set, is it hard to step away from that? Or how do you, do you have to ever shake that? Um, I know, Carrie, you had that wonderful scene where you come down and you are seeing your family again for the next time. And it was just riveting. It was moving. Do you find that at this point in your careers, you're able to sort of, you know, check in and check out? Or is it something that's actually hard to shake?
4: I come from the school of belief that Oftentimes, actors, and maybe it's the same for writers, seem to me actually to be the healthiest people in the world because, I know that's against stereotypes, uh, because we actually are fully expressed in a way that most people aren't. Like, my family's from the Midwest, and they're deeply passive-aggressive, repressed people. mom. Yeah, right. And I kind of got out of there because that wasn't working for me. But uh, I, I get to have a catharsis, you know? The hardest part, actually, about it is that you have a catharsis, right? And by nature, you've had a release. And then you have to do it again, which is actually very counter <coughs> to what a catharsis means. So when you have to do that eight times, that's when it gets hard. And then you're spent. There's really no, no, nothing left over to think about or, or feel because you've kind of gotten it all out there. So I actually find it to be really healthy. I, I don't know if, if it's the same I, thing. I'm I gave saying. up going to therapy <laughs>
6: Doing this show.
4: <laughs> I
6: love to get lost there and stay for as long as I stay because the good thing about getting older is perspective, if you will and I know I'm going to come back but I don't mean in the show <laughs> but I love, I love those areas because that would
2: I- be ridiculous <laughs> She's no. dead. I
6: love Austin. It's just She's such as a nice town. This dead as dead gets. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean. Once you, if you can get to that place of grief and loss, and it takes you right down, you know, in the end, that's our terrain, and we're comfortable in it, if you will.
1: Yeah. Uh, more questions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go right here because it's close. I'm sorry. I'll come back there in a
2: minute. Uh, this question is for um, Senor Damon Lindelof. Um, Senor? I, I, will answer, worry, I will answer en espanol. That should be interesting. Um, what would you say is probably one of your biggest lessons that you learned working on television, going from Lost, still favorite show of all time, to The Leftovers? Um... Uh. Uh, first off you, um thanks for saying that um i i try not to um think about lessons uh i you, it it feels like it's um it's a it's a trapdoor into regret because i think that you know um the idea like our our brains are constructed in a way from when we're babies, that if you just, if you touch something incredibly hot, or you stick a key in an electrical socket, as I did, that you just don't do that again, Um, but it it was pretty exciting when it happened, so, like, I I, I think, like, I, I guess the meta answer to your question is, like, kind of every lesson, every time I feel like I've learned a lesson, I do go and stick the key in the electrical socket again and again and again because the heart wants what the heart wants and like like I, I will have successes and I will have failures but the worst thing that could ever happen to me is that I would you know that I would achieve some level of incredible success but I would feel no connection with that material like and so I just you know uh, that I, I can look at you in the eye and say I am aware that this was a mistake on lost but but wait 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 this time it, I'm not gonna make that same mistake so uh you know i i i guess this is a very um verbose way of saying i've learned nothing (laughs) we have have time for a couple more questions we're way back here hi when did you know that you were going to get a season two and how did that affect uh, the storytelling in season one uh that's a great question um Uh, and and to pivot back to Rose's question very briefly, like, I was super depressed during season one. Like, um, uh, a, a large part of it was just... Uh, I think the material itself and sort of living in that space and just, like, a, anybody who who you guys have spoken to over this weekend will tell you that season one of a television show is just like, the for, uh, if for, if for any parents in the crowd, is just like, it's kind of like the first, you know, couple months of having a baby where you're just like, how did they fucking let me take this thing home from the hospital? <laughs> like, I just, I, 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 I have no idea what I'm doing and, you know, like, that's kind of the process. But, but, um, HBO was overwhelmingly supportive um, uh, you know very early on and was really liking the material and although there was stuff that was working and stuff that was not worth working they they showed an unprecedented amount of faith and I think the great thing about working in this space whether it be HBO or, or Netflix or Showtime is like there's almost a default position of we're investing in you like even if you know as long as you don't as long as you are a professional like and you are trying really hard we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you a lot of ro- to hang yourself with And so um, Like Because we understand That a lot of shows Really start to pop And sizzle And find themselves in, in season two Or even in season three So they They were messaging From very early on But I think like by, by the by time they saw the, the cut of Mimi's show Which was episode five the, uh, Which was called Gladys That was the first time That they communicated Officially we, we, you, got, you better start thinking About where you're going to go From the end of season one Because we had, we had told them When we just talked about What the season was going to be Look season one is Tom's book We're adding a lot of Different elements But the last scene Of season one is Nora Durst is going to Walk up to Kevin Garvey's house We're going to hear her, her Letter to him And then she's going to Find this baby That has been left by Tom Gart that's gonna be the last scene just as it is in the book like there's no reason to change that it's gonna be amazing and and, and people are gonna feel like we can these people are gonna be okay like I I don't want to have the season end on some kind of crazy dramatic uh, cliffhanger of like Nora's holding the baby and says, "Look what I found," and then Kevin says, "But wait, look at that!" and there's a fucking meteor. Like, no, like that's that's the end. So, like, let's let's not let's just not even let's just not even talk about a season two until until um, until we've got until we've shot that and we can all take a deep breath. And HBO is very patient and very kind, and they. we we tabled the conversation until the finale was complete and then you know as the actors will say I was kind of saying like I don't need I need to be very I need to be really living in the present time like I just can't be you know focused on the future but once the season was done and I had a little bit of time to decompress I started getting really inspired and saying like as opposed to manufacturing more tragedies to befall these people which is usually what you have to do you know to keep the engine uh, primed I had an idea that um, you know that essentially delivered us unto austin and we'll we'll'll' we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that um, um, you know, where i kind of I felt like we had a, had an opportunity to not do more of the same but at the same time not abandon what what the show was about. That's great. We are all, I know everybody here is excited about it.
1: Um, Let's end uh, as we always end and let's talk about TV for a second and uh, starting here with Anne and coming down, what are you watching on television these days? What are you excited or inspired (laughs) about? What do you love? What are you talking to your friends and uh, family about?
6: I'm going to be the dud in the group. Mm. Um, I have three children and I'm playing a role (laughs) here. Um, I don't see a lot of television, uh, so sorry. That's a bad answer. You know,
1: you can make something up. We wouldn't know. Yeah. What are your kids watching?
6: <clears throat> well, one is in the doghouse. He's <clears throat> off television completely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I you Tell know him why? Because <clears throat> he,
0: just, because
6: he <throat> just. Can I just say? <laughs>
5: That's a great story.
6: In the first half hour of yesterday's babysitter, I live in New York City. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Son bought nine hundred and thirty-five dollars worth of camping equipment. Oh. He's ten years old. He bought two tents. One of them sleeps twelve, and the other is a
2: three-bed. Who wants to tent. go camping? You're in. Anything You're in, guy that resembles that. technology yeah.
6: has been removed yeah. from his hands.
1: Yeah. 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 All right, you have a good excuse.
6: Thank you. He was also suspended for two days for breaking a door, but hey. He's a good kid. He's a-
2: my, my favorite show is, uh, it's, co- it's starting on E! this fall, it, and it's called uh, Camping with the Doubts. I ju- it just got greenlit seconds ago.
4: Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that's just always really far behind. So I actually just finished watching Enlightened, with Laura Dern. Yeah. Okay. And I think Mike White is a genius and I just I think he's really getting after something really um, beautiful and interesting. So I finished that. I'm really looking forward to Silicon Valley season 2. he gets really funny and smart. Is that it? Is that kind of And then answer. otherwise we're watching, you know, my husband and I like watch Fellini then like on Friday. So
0: yes.
5: You're fun. Chris. <laughs> I have two children. <laughs> And one of them's three and four months, and one of them's one and eight months. So I watch CBeebies all the time. Does anybody know what CBeebies
0: is? It's a
5: BBC channel with a children's channel, and there is a guy on it whose surname I do not know. His his first name is is Justin, and he does a show called Something Special, which is... um <laughs> Wait, you're going to feel bad about yourselves. <laughs> he plays a learning disabled character in the show. And everybody who appears in the show with him are have a learning disability. And he's one of the best actors I've ever seen. And what's very interesting to me to my ch- uh, is to watch my, ch- my two children, Albert and Esme, watch this show and respond to these children with complete acceptance I wish I knew his, his, his second... It, it's an, listen, it's an amazing... I'm being evangelical about the show now. <laughs> the show is called Something Special. And it's on CBeebies. And it's created entirely by this guy, Justin. And to my shame, I don't know his surname. Well, you're all online right now. And the, rest of the, time, the rest of the time, I watched 70s American film. And when I came to Austin, I walked around for a while... And for some reason, I thought, the film I have to see is the last picture show.
3: Oh, wow, yeah.
5: yeah. And I've been watching that for the last two nights. Great. Great. Mimi?
3: Well, I haven't really had time to watch a lot of TV lately, oh. but I very much got into Transparent, and which I thought was just brilliant. And so now I'm segueing right into I am Caitlin.
2: <laughs> Damon? Don't let me know. Uh, I... Uh, for, for someone who who does this for a living, I, I justify my um, immense television consumption by saying, you know, I have to do this because I do this for a living. But I just, you know, I was raised in front of a television. And, uh, you know, uh, whether I'm addicted or not, it's just my it's my it's my favorite and most important medium. And even if I'm writing until. You know, two thirty or three in the morning, I need to watch TV before I go to sleep to just kind of reset my brain and you know take it out of active mode and into passive mode, uh, which uh, is getting harder and harder, you know, qualitatively, you know, with TV being what it is. But I, you know, I'm a, po- a pop culture addict, so I try to watch everything that I can. One of my favorite things to do is just you know flip around and watch something for for uh, for twenty minutes. But the shows, you know, that I'm uh, you know, currently obsessed with are are not going to shock anyone here. You know, I, I, I obviously love Game of Thrones, and um, but the but the show that I feel uh, is, a, is 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 um, probably for no one in this room, but is about to kind of really break through in the same way that Breaking Bad did, where people we, we all forget that Breaking Bad was not a show that anybody gave a shit about for for two or three seasons, um, and then when and, and and then it became you know undeniable. Um, I think that same thing. Is, is happening with the Americans now yeah. and, um, and uh, that, that show is so extraordinarily amazing I just sit there, you know, and, like, stop hating myself for, you know, normally, no, but I'll, I'll bet you Kevin and Julie can speak to this, which is, you know, like, some TV shows, they're just so good that you're just like, I don't need this. Like, this, this, you know, like, I'll, and, and uh, like, I can put aside my own narcissism and actually enjoy the Americans for its brilliance, but there are, there, there are too many to name in terms of, uh, like, uh, I, I watch uh, everything that has, has been mentioned up here, except for uh, Chris to show which I am now going to. it Actually sounds kind of amazing, yeah. Uh, well this is
1: this is what makes you, Damon, the ideal ATX guest. You could very easily be an audience member as well, such as your love for television. Please give a round of applause to the creators and cast of the leftovers. Thanks to all of you for coming. Thanks for coming all weekend. Thanks to everyone at ATX. Give them another round of applause, please.